This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. As parents, we understand the importance of talking to our young children about health and proper nutrition. We get them involved in sports to teach them the value of teamwork and exercise. We're told to start talking about the dangers of drugs with our children at a very early age. Yet with all this communication, somehow money is still considered taboo. Rarely are parents encouraged to sit down with their children to discuss the importance of budgeting or saving money. When it comes to talking with our kids about finance, we don't want to stress them out or to feel that they don't need to understand finance until they're older. And many people still think talking about money is just plain rude. Yet every step our kids take from college through retirement will be directly influenced by their ability to manage their finances, student loans, credit cards, jobs, mortgages, savings, and so on. Once they hit 18 years old, they are required and able to make decisions that could affect their entire lives, often without the necessary knowledge or skills. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking about teaching kids about finance, when to start, allowances, savings and interest and taxes, and a lot more. I'm Armin Brutt. We'll start talking about getting beyond piggy banks and lemonade stands when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke anime Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of this today's show is Liz Frazier, who's the author of Beyond Piggy Banks and Lemonade Stands, How to Teach Young Kids About Finance, and They're Never Too Young. Liz, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. When is the right time to start teaching kids about money? You know, that's the million-dollar question, and my answer is always the same, as early as you can. And because you're teaching them in um, based on their age and based on their comfort level and experience, you're not going to start a child at four years old talking about investing in the stock market. But you can definitely start at four, five years old. I've started my kids around four years old talking about the basics of money. So that's things like needs versus wants and priorities. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I was wondering about that because over the time that I've been in the parenting space, 
we have gone from a cash society to we're, we're edging towards a cash-free society. And I remember the, the things that I did with my kids about giving them piles of, of coins and saying, okay, this, this little silver one is worth 10 of these reddish ones and two of the the bigger silver ones and 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 you know just talking just generally that different things are worth different amounts but we aren't using cash so much anymore has that changed the way that we teach kids about money yeah you know it's so interesting um because you're right we are we're moving to a cashless society and um you know, I don't think that we're going to go backwards. I think we're going to continue moving towards that. But in terms of teaching kids, it's not realistic for the real world using coins and, and cash. But in terms of teaching kids, especially the younger ones, I still think it's really important to teach them with cash and coins. So I still sit down with my kids. I wrote about it in the book of having your kids look at the coins. I still, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking the exact that remembering in my head, thinking I sat down with my kids saying, so that smaller one is actually, you know, worth more than the, than the one that's nickel. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I do think because kids learn by interacting and engaging with things, they need, they still need money to learn from um, because, you know, it, they need something that's tangible that they can touch and feel and look at and, you know, for my four-year-old taste and, you know, but, but money, digital money is just a little too hypothetical for them. So I still think there's, it's a, it has a really important place in teaching, but it's not realistic. And at some point, once the teaching part of it is done, then you'll move to, to more digital teaching. But do you think that it, it makes it more complicated? Because I think that, I, I remember my kids even telling me, even though the, the older ones in particular were raised in more of a cash society, and my younger one is much more adept at cashless, but they would, I, I would say, well, I, I just don't have the money for that right now. And they'd say, well, why don't you go to one of those machines and get it? <laughs> oh, okay. But I think in that, since everything is getting paid for with a card or with waving your phone at a, you know, a device in a grocery store or whatever, that you don't actually have to handle money or even credit cards, that it, it becomes so much more abstract as to the yeah. value of money and what it is. How many hours do you have to work to be able to afford that pair of tennis shoes or whatever? Totally. The electronic digital wallet is the new money tree. You know, they're just like, oh, yeah, just just use your card or your phone. You can pay for it. And that's, that's really why I think it's so important to show your kids tangible money so they can see, you know, if they do chores and you get an, they get an allowance, you give them and say, okay, so you did your allowance. You're five years old. You get $5 each week or whatever works for your family. But they can see and they equate, you know, okay, so I did the dishes and I cleaned my room and I did whatever your chores are and I got $5 for that. So that way they're they're actually learning to, you know, that working means making money. And they're starting to realize the value of that money firsthand. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, we're going to be talking about as through our discussion today about different ages, but my 16-year-old is working at her, her first real job. And she had a, a little bit of an awakening when she got a check that was less than the number of hours times her hourly rate. And you say, well, wait a minute, hold on a second. I worked 27 hours and why didn't I get whatever it was, $350 or something at 13 bucks an hour? And I said, well, there's taxes and then there's Social Security. And wait, wait, so what Social Security? I'm 16. And you think, well, <laughs> you won't be for very long. And, I mean, it's, it's fascinating just to all of the things that you just don't think about. 
and that and even and she's not alone. I mean, there there are twenty five year olds who who don't think about this stuff. I, I had a, a conversation with my my girlfriend's son, who's twenty five years old, and he drives Uber now, and and he was doing his taxes last year, and he's going to be doing them again this year. But it was you know thinking about deductibles on his insurance. What wait? What's a deductible? What does that even mean? Right. Well, there are the, 45 year olds who don't understand this kind of stuff. I mean, that is, you know, it's, it's yeah. partly age, but it's partly also your experience with it, your comfort level. You know, have you just kind of been trying to put a blind eye towards your finances? So, it, you know, there's there's a lot of people in that situation. Well, I mean, it's it's the, what, what I'm getting at here is that it's easy as parents to assume a certain basic familiarity with basic concepts that we have. That things that we know that we take for granted that kids just would have no way of knowing it, and so getting back to the, the the original question about when is it too young, and of course that's going to be a sliding scale depending on what you're talking about. You're not going to talk about deductions and and uh, social security for a, with a three year old, but you could talk about tax, I guess. That the government yeah. takes a little bit of everything I get. Yeah, and you know, tax is one of those tricky ones because there's not a person I know who has positive feelings about taxes. So, you know, when you're talking to your kids about money, you you want to, especially when they're younger, that's their first experiences and first discussions around money. So, you want to keep it positive and you want to develop healthy money attitudes. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about taxes, as hard it is as it is, try to keep it positive and just talk about why you pay taxes. Not that you have to pay taxes, but why you pay taxes. Well, you know, when you look at our roads and, you know, our schools and our money goes to, you know, protect our country with the military and, and all the different way, places that taxes go to to help um, to help us have a better life. You know, putting and, – and as they get older, they're going to have their own opinions about taxes. But, you know, I do think that um, – Talking about money with your kids, it's it's one of these core conversations that we need to start at a young age, just like we talk to our kids about nutrition and, you know, just like we talk to our kids about safety. I mean, I have a four and a six-year-old, and I almost every day, whether it's through media or friends or teachers or, or whatever it is, I'm, I'm hearing things that I need to be talking about and teaching my kids from an early age. And, it's yeah. you know, we're not talking to them about nutrition because you know, they're going to understand everything right away. We're talking about it to build positive habits so that they, you know, learn and grow and are comfortable with these subjects um, and make good decisions as they get older. And that's the same thing with money. You know, we're not right. telling them everything right when we start, but it is important to just start this conversation because in the past, nobody was talking about money. It was taboo. It was seen as rude. And so we have so many adults now who just don't understand money because why would they? They were never exposed to it. So a lot of it at a young age is just about exposure and interaction. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you said some the, the magic words there just a minute ago of, of good habits that with, the, as we talked about, the proliferation of the cashless society and everybody getting all these credit card offers all the time, that kids, a lot of kids have got a lot of credit card debt because they don't understand that they're going to have to pay for that stuff that they waived their card to get. Yeah, and I, I think that um, people don't really think about when they're using their credit cards, that means they can't afford it. If you're using your credit card, that means that you, you can't afford what you're buying. So you're borrowing money, and then you have to pay interest on that. And I just think that we got a little lazy when it came to debt. And, you know, in terms of student loans, 
parents weren't necessarily talking to their kids about the impact that student loans are going to have on them. Well, you're borrowing money, you know, so that you can go to college. And it's kind of this instant gratification. And then, you know, yeah, student loans, you'll have to pay that back. But they didn't really prepare their kids for what that meant. And I think it's the same thing with credit cards. You know, kids see their parents using credit cards, um, and it just seems like it's just another source of money. Well, it's not. It's it's a debt. It's something that you're borrowing and you have to pay back. Um, so I think that just something like credit cards and student loans and debt, I mean, it's it's a little sophisticated for the younger years, but certainly in middle school and high school, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that your kids need to be aware of because those kind of things like credit cards and student loans, there's certain things that if they get to adult age and they're learning as an adult, then they have the opportunity to make mistakes that can last them a lifetime. Talking with Liz Frazier, who's the author of Beyond Piggy Banks and Lemonade Stands, How to Teach Young Kids About Finance. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to Liz. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day, and it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, talking with Liz Frazier, who's the author of Beyond Piggy Banks and Lemonade Stands, How to Teach Young Kids About Finance. And so let's talk about some specifics about how you do that. We talked about coins and, and things like that for, for visual aids for teaching young kids. But how do you begin to to get them in tune with the idea that there are a variety of things that you can do with money after you've, you've taught them the lesson that you need to work for it, that you can basically save it or give it away or spend it? Well, so I'm, I'm a big fan of the three piggy bank system, and it's something that a lot of people have heard of, the save, spend, and share piggy bank. Mm-hmm. So 
For anybody who, who isn't aware of that system, um, any time that a child earns money, whether it's through chores or ex outside you know, work, neighborhood work, um, or even gift money, I encourage my kids um, to put a little bit of that money in the save jar, a little bit in that money for the share jar, and that's going to go to whatever kind of charity or um, you know, community activity or whatever it is they get to choose, and then a little bit in the spend jar. Um, and I think that that really gives them um, practice for managing money. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, you know, probably the best way that you can teach your kids about money is just by having their own money. So I think a really big part of teaching kids when they're young about money is giving them an allowance or at least giving them some kind of opportunity to earn money around the house. Um, because, you know, it gives them some skin in the game and they're, they, they learn how to um, – budget money. They learn how to make decisions with their own money. If they're borrowing money from their parents, it just doesn't have the same effect. So I think a really, really big part of teaching your kids about money is giving them money to practice. You would give that to them in cash, it sounds like. Yeah, I would. So, um, you know, I would, I would give it to them in cash, certainly while they're young. Once they get older, at a certain point, um, once they understand money, um, or their piggy banks are just bursting, I think that that's when you take them to the bank and you open a, a savings account and a checking account. But, yeah, I would give it to them in cash. Um, you know, for things like the, the savings jar, um, I really like cash and coins because they can see it growing. They yeah, actually can physically yeah. see it growing. Um, and one activity that we do in terms of learning how to save is um, – creating a savings goal. So, you know, if you think about the old term, the old the old school, like, uh, sales goals, you know, the big thermometers and you cross off, like, how much you've made. You're doing something like that for your kids for saving for a goal. So you want to pick something that is, um, you know, easily, easy for them to get. You want, you want to set them up for success. So maybe they want to save up for a Lego set that's $40. So you can create a goal chart for them, and you put it right next to their savings piggy bank and, um, you know, have them create it and decorate it and be really engaged with it, and then create some milestones. So maybe at $40 they get the Lego set, but maybe at $7 they get an ice cream sundae. Maybe at $15 um, you'll match that amount, so that will, you know, give them a bump in their savings. But the point is, is to keep them engaged and excited about it so that they want to save. It's a positive experience, especially when they get there. Um, it's really exciting that they, they've accomplished something. They've accomplished their goal. And really, it's, it's another one of those building positive habits. So I think that that's a really um, great activity for, for teaching kids one of the most important lessons in finance and money management, which is saving. Do you think that there's a time for talking about interest as well? And yeah, the, the, I mean, the, that you as the parent would perhaps contribute a certain amount extra if for having the, the money in there. I mean, yes. talking about the lessons of investing, basically. It's like you read my book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I do. You know, I think that once you're first getting started, you know, you just want to keep it as simple as possible. And you're just doing plain chores, you know, give allowance, however your com family is comfortable with it. But once they kind of get the hang of that, I absolutely recommend giving them interest each month. Um, so explain to them that when you save money in an account, that the bank will actually pay you interest for that. And, you know, for, for purposes of teaching, I like to just use 10% because that's an easy number to, yeah. um, to show your kids the math around it. So you can say, so for every 
um, every month, I'm going to pay 10% interest on your piggy bank. Um, and, you know, sit down with them, take out the calculator, go on the spreadsheet, however you want to do it, and, and do the calculations and say, okay, so this is what you had last month. This is what you earned. This is the interest that you earned on that. And then do some scenarios. You know, get your child excited. Say, well, okay, so if you wanted to save up $100 more with the interest, this is how long it's going to take. Or, you know, if they have a certain goal, help them calculate with the interest how long that will take. But, yeah, I think that teaching interest at a young age is great because interest is really the foundation of investing and growing your money, and a lot of more complicated concepts come from interest. And interest isn't difficult. It, it's, it's a pretty easy um, concept to explain if you just start with the basics um, and go from there. Well, I think you need to talk, though, about because the logical question is going to be, wait, why was why would the bank give me money to put my money in, in the bank? And then you have to talk about, well, because they're going to lend it out to somebody else who's going to pay them just for the – if you're using your math, who's going to pay them 20 percent. So then, then they can pay me 10 and then they keep 10. It, it becomes – it's an interesting conversation, but it's, it's something that I think a lot of kids at some point are going to wonder, wait, where, where does this money come from? They're not just making it. Right. And I, you know, I think absolutely they're going to ask these questions. And so you do need to explain in the most simple terms why, why the banks are going to pay you. But I think it's important for parents because I think parents get intimidated when they think about explaining all this to their kids and talking about finance with their kids because finance is really, it's just overcomplicated in my opinion. Um, so, so most parents don't really understand um, everything there's to know about finance anyway. But kids, you know, you can explain, explain, you know, things like interest and investing and debt and all of these things to your kids, and they might not get it all at once. They probably won't, but you're just, you're exposing them to it, and they're starting to think about these kind of things, you know. So now they're thinking, oh, okay, so, so I can earn interest on these, and there's different interest rates, and so they're starting to think, well, why are there different interest rates, and um, you know, and starting to ask more questions, and that's great, and that's really what you want with your kids. Is you just want them to start kind of getting used to these ideas and concepts, and kind of noodling it around a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about some of the more advanced concepts. You've got uh, part four of the book is for the overachieving kids and parents who are who have a lot of questions and want to learn more <laughs> about this stuff. And so, talk about what are what are some of the questions that a, a kid who really has a pretty good handle on this stuff, who maybe has been, I mean, I remember when I was very young, had a paper route and, and was thrown into this whole thing of having to learn about billing and customer service. And if you're nice to people and you, you send them a, a holiday greeting, there's a chance that you might get a tip and, you know, different, different kinds of things, you know, that, that type of thing, but also some of the larger concepts about money and, and movement of money. Yeah, I mean there there are a lot of advanced topics you could talk about with your kids. Um, Just one a couple or two. of them, and you're kind of touching on that. I think that kids who have had some kind of business, you know, at a young age, so they've had, and this could be, I mean, most kids have they've had some kind of lemonade stand or, you know, paper route, like you were talking about, or anything like that. You can start talking to them about bigger picture um, concepts, like you know, economics. Um, and talk to them about macro and microeconomics and really talking to them, you know, in a way that they understand by using their business as an example. So I really like 
something like the lemonade stand. And when your kids are doing a lemonade stand, really treating it like it's a real business. And you're talking about, okay, so, you know, this is the cost of goods sold. These are all of the material costs. You know, we bought the lemonade. We bought the stand. Um, you know, this is what everything costs. And then here's our revenues, you know, and then the profit is the revenues minus the cost of goods sold. And really talking to them about business specific. So that's, and like you were saying, that's like, think like in the beginning, creating a marketing plan, you know, going through and saying, okay, so what's our advertising strategy? So, you know, we think that there's probably a lot of people in, in dad's office. Uh, maybe we should put a poster up there or, you know, or, or what's our pricing strategy? Well, John down the street, he prices lemonade at $4. So maybe we should do three fifty, or, or maybe we should make it more four fifty. Um, but I think that that's, that's one way to start introducing kind of some of these bigger concepts um, to kids, especially yeah. around businesses and advertising and, and economics. Talking with Liz Frazier, who's the author of Beyond Piggy Banks and Lemonade Stands, How to Teach Young Kids About Finance. And there's a lot of great stuff in here and even more exploration of the ideas we've been talking about and a lot we didn't get to. Liz, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wound, sir? 911, what's your emergency? Please help. My son shot his brother. 911, what is your emergency? 911, please state your emergency. Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brunt, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, my husband and I just divorced as amicably as possible. We've heard a lot about how children in divorced families act out, get bad grades in school, take drugs, have all sorts of mental health problems, and on and on. Frankly, both of us are worried that our children are never going to recover. Despite the divorce, we both want to be great parents and to give the kids the best life. Is there some way to make that happen? This is one of the most common questions I get from divorcing and divorced parents, and I wish there were some way to get the media to quit portraying children in divorced families as self-destructive failure bombs waiting to explode. The reality is that kids whose parents have split, whether by divorce or the breakup of a never-married couple, can do just as well as any other kids. There are definitely some obstacles, but they can be overcome. Here are a few ideas that will definitely help. Don't believe everything you read or listen to, except this, of course. Some studies do show that kids from divorced homes have many of the problems you mentioned, but in most cases, those problems are less the result of the divorce itself than of the quality of the parenting those kids are getting. I'm sure you've seen or heard kids who have every conceivable advantage in life but never live up to their potential or end up in jail. Keep your relationship with your ex civil. According to a number of excellent studies, the number one predictor of how well children will do after their parents get divorced is the quality of the relationship between the parents. 
If you and your ex can get along, not fight in front of your children, treat each other with respect, recognize how important you both are in your children's lives, and support each other in parenting, all of which it seems like you're doing or planning to do, your kids have a great shot. Love the kids and reassure them often. Children, especially young ones, are concerned with only one idea. How will whatever's going on right now affect me? If you or their father moved out, they might be worried that the other will move out too and leave them alone. If they saw you and their dad fighting, they may worry that you'll divorce them if they ever disagree with you. Your kids need to know that you love them no matter what, and that divorcing their father has nothing to do with your relationship with them. Children also frequently believe that they caused the divorce, especially if you and your ex argued about anything to do with parenting. They need to know that the decision to divorce was made 100% by the adults and that the children had absolutely nothing to do with it. Stop trying to be amazing or awesome, perfect, fantastic, or even great. Shoot for good enough. You're mortal, you'll make mistakes, you'll have personal issues, and that's okay. Ask for help and accept it. It doesn't have to take a whole village. Sometimes all you need is a good support network. Having a friend or relative pick up the kids after school if you're hung up at a meeting or carpooling with another family can take the pressure off you and show the kids that there are other adults who care for them. Finally, keep it real. Spending time with you isn't a vacation. You don't need to buy your kids love. That means homework gets done before play, boundaries get respected, rules get followed, and life stays as close to the way it was before the divorce as possible. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.